Thank you for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that will be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Liam Neeson there. Dominic Sandbrook. What actually? Who else? What Who else? was that? Who else? That was like a man from Norfolk. Oh, it something. wasn't. No, what? it was an American-Irish accent. What? With a that deep, was absolutely with a shocking. Deep, with a deep, manly timbre. You did a um, fantastic New York Times. You did no, a Dominic, Dominic, Edward well, Heath. And then it's all gone wrong. No, it hasn't. I, that was absolutely superb. Uh, and um, <laughs> the reason that I've chosen to open an episode that is on the CIA with that... Yes. It's because in that, Liam Neeson is playing Brian Mills, whose daughter gets abducted. And he brings the skill set of a CIA agent. But at no point in that film does he mention that he's in the CIA because he doesn't need to. All right. He doesn't need to because it can be automatically assumed that, you know, these are the skills that he has. And it gives him the kind of the aura of combined competence and menace that the CIA at its best wants to convey. And that people associate with the hosts of this podcast. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. But uh, as someone who doesn't know a huge amount about the CIA, what I'd like to know is, um, are they as menacing and are they as competent as Liam Neeson might imply in that film? Well, I thought that for this podcast, we needed somebody who was competent and menacing, (laughs) but also had an interestingly transatlantic accent, a bit like the accent you were just doing. (laughs) So when I first met him, he was a man very much of the West Country who taught alongside me at the University of Sheffield. But he's since moved to California, and listeners may be able to detect a little bit of kind of the Prince Harry in his um, <laughs> in his voice, if not his demeanour and outlook, I hope. So this is Professor Hugh Wilford, who is one of the world's leading authorities. I would say the leading authority. Because the top biased, authority. The top authority, the absolute supremo of CIA studies. So, Hugh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. It's a very pleasure to be here. Excellent. So there you've got the Especially accent after that away. introduction. There you've got the <laughs> accent, you've got the tone of menace and the competence. All I am not, I'm known for my I'm known for my tone of menace. Oh yes. People um, remark on it. So so Hugh, uh, as I've said, I, I, I am in, incredibly ignorant about the CIA, beyond obviously my amazing ability to do impersonations of Liam Neeson. Um and what I'm wondering is the CIA, America doesn't have a kind of central intelligence agency before the war, does it? Before the Second World War. That's correct. It does not. And am I right that it's basically modelled on on the British example? And the CIA agents to begin with all sit around smoking pipes and wearing tweed jackets and things. That's about, that's about right. Yeah, there's, there's, no, there's no sort of national intelligence service. Throughout American history, the, the pattern has sort of been that uh, intelligence services are sort of patched together uh, during war uh, and then dismantled uh, rapidly afterwards because, you know, Americans don't like secrecy. They, they, they don't like big government, uh, et cetera. Um, but uh, the, the Office of Strategic Services is created during World War II and, and it's it is absolutely right, sort of largely based on uh, a British model. And, and the British um, actually are, are sort of on the sidelines urging the Americans to, to go down uh, the intelligence route as, as they have uh, several years uh, before. And so there is this kind of, certainly in, in the early days, there is this kind of very strong uh, Anglophile, almost sort of faux imperial British uh, uh, tone to the CIA. So that's the pipe smoking. Because when you see... I agree with Tom. Whenever you see pictures of early CIA men, they are wearing tweed jackets and sitting in kind of leather armchairs and smoking pipes and stuff, aren't they? 
Right, little unexpectedly, possibly. I think you're probably thinking in particular of Alan Dulles, who was the, the great white case officer, as he was known. He was the sort of the first legendary uh, director of the CIA during the 1950s and very much sort of sets the tone. He's Tweedy, he's sort of um, Ivy League. He's Kipling-esque as well. All, all of this generation of CIA officers uh, have, have read uh, Kipling's Kim and sort of rather... I think see themselves in in, in the same tradition and um, uh, this ability to engage in espionage and covert action sort of allows them to to to, to go and have uh, adventures in, in in foreign lands and uh, g- generally sort of emulate the uh, the the spies of uh, British imperial romantic uh, spy fiction. And is that is that kind of um, closeness? It, Kim Philby is the the famous British traitor. He's the kind of liaison officer, isn't he, between British. Secret Service and um, the CIA, as it comes to be, and he 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 stitches them up royally. He does indeed, and that, that's absolutely right. He he befriends a number of Americans uh, during World War II. Uh, people like James Angleton ca- come and join him in in London to uh, to sort of run Allied counterintelligence, uh, and uh, he resumes his his friendships with the Americans in the late 1940s when he's uh, sent over to, to to Washington to act as liaison between MI6 and and the new CIA, and uh, of course during this he uh, is is briefed on various CIA covert operations, including uh, in, in particular attempts to land agents behind the Iron Curtain in countries like Albania. And uh, he obviously passes on everything he knows to his uh, Soviet controllers. Uh, and uh, some some Americans are suspicious to, to, to give them uh, their due, especially after Guy Burgess you know, flees Washington. He's there as well. Uh, but it, it's it's... The Americans stay in touch with Philby and Angleton sort of remains a friend of his through the late 1950s and almost right up, in fact, up until Philby actually defects in 1963. I was going to say, to go back to the foundation, so the OSS, which is the ancestor of the CIA, which is basically the first sort of major American intelligence organization. So that was anti-Nazi, I assume, primarily. But then the CIA is 47, set up by Truman. So is that... Is, do they simply switch targets or do they get different people in or how do they adjust from being anti-Nazi to anti-communist? Or was the OSS anti-communist too? Now, the OSS is actually quite liberal to sort of the extent it has in, in, any politics at all. And there's a lot of this first generation of, of CI officers, sort of in addition to the kind of Kipling element, they're, they're all quite idealistic as well. They're, despite their love of things British, there's quite a lot of, they're not actually sort of conscious admirers of the British Empire. If anything, they're, they're, they're sort of anti-colonial. And there is this almost this, actually this leftist tinge to the OSS and their attempts to sort of join up with resistance movements to the extent that some people outside the OSS, sort of conservative congressmen and, and what have you, really dislike this organisation and, and see it as a sort of nest of pinkos and and and, uh, and possible communists and and this actually sort of haunts the early cia as well but in answer to your question it is much the same personnel basically go to the cia when it's created in 1947 a number of them you know truman doesn't like espionage doesn't like uh, covert operations and he's quite he's quite eager to disband the oss in is that because he sees them as un-american Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And and there is this there's this sort of talk of uh, the dangers of creating an American Gestapo around in uh, in, in 1947 uh, when the CIA is created. And, and and Truman obviously has sort of personal misgivings. He uh, there's this point he participates in this kind of mock. Uh, a knighting ceremony of his first, uh, the first director of central intelligence in, in 47 in, in the Oval Office, who had, he, he gives it to a personal friend, a sort of an old Missouri uh, acquaintance of his, and he declares him the director of centralized snooping. So that, there's a lot of talk <laughs> like this ar- around at the time. And Truman is actually kind of acts as a sort of a break on the, the expansion of the CIA. It's not really until um, Eisenhower comes along in 1953 that they sort of, uh, the White House really lets it loose. So there's an obvious question, which Mark Kirk Alves, who I have to say sounds like a CIA operative himself. Um, <laughs> and he, he asks, Mark asks, was the CIA necessary at its inception? So, you know, ultimately America is, is the, the superpower victor in the Second World War facing mm-hmm. potentially the Soviet Union. Is there no choice but to set up uh, a spy agency? I think it's bound to happen. It's the, the, the sort of the last great power standing really isn't at the end of, of World War II uh, and lacks 
really any any, any sort of intelligence uh, capabilities after the OSS is uh, disbanded. So I think it's it's inevitable this is going to be created. And and initially, it's very much uh, seen just as an intelligence outfit, you know, an organisation that's going to gather intelligence, not necessarily engage in covert action. That's a sort of there's a kind of second phase to its creation. Really, ironically, with George Kennan, who's perhaps best remembered as the architect of containment and this kind of rather subtle uh, intellectual sort of cr- creating a Cold War uh, uh, foreign policy in the US. But he's actually behind the scenes. He's also a, a big advocate of political warfare and psychological warfare and really going after the Soviets and sort of taking the fight to them. And he pushes for it's not necessarily the CIA at this point, unless the government having it having a sort of a covert action capability, so capable, you know, of dropping uh, agents into our Al- Albania, and, and then eventually, come the 1950s, you know, this starts to go into uh, areas of, of the, um, the the decolonizing uh, world as as well, the global south. But one of your, um, I mean, you said that they that first they're 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 suspicious of covert action, but don't they don't they influence the Italian election straight away? I mean, they've only been going for a year. Uh, so they're founded in 1947, the Italian elections, 48, and they give tons of money to the Christian Democrats. Wow, basically. well remembered. Yes, they, they do. That's true. But it's kind of partly, it's a very sort of patched together effort. There are sort of private citizens in, in, involved. Initially, these sorts of operations are, are given to this, not actually the, the CIA itself, they're given to this separate unit called the Office of Policy Coordination. So it's housed by the CIA, but it's actually run by the State Department and the Defense Department. Um, and it's not until, I think it's 52 or 53 that it's absorbed by, so, by the so CIA. Policy, so, so, so there's this kind of resistance to the idea of sort of the US doing dirty tricks, you know, like the old imperial powers, that it, it, right. it, it's very much there. And it means that I, not, not even the CIA itself actually necessarily wants wants these things, that the second DCI before the director of central intelligence, but, but before Alan Duthers, Roscoe Hillencotter, splendid the American name. What was he called? He, he, Roscoe, <laughs> Roscoe Hillencotter. Yes, <laughs> he's uh, he's he's like he's like a, a, a military man and, and, and very upright, and he he actually resists the CIA sort of a, adopting the powers. But but Dominic, yes, you're right. There are operations going on in first of all in in, in Europe in this attempt to sort of stabilize it and and, and prevent a possible communist takeover. It was policy co- the Office of Policy Coordination, was it? That's right. Yeah. So, a- so this is a euphemism, a euphemism yes, for exactly. kind of toppling, like foreign universal, space, like universal exports. Is James <laughs> Bond's cover, isn't it? <laughs> right. Yeah. It is clearly a deliberately sort of bland name to, to divert attention away. Yeah. But it kind of reflects a, a, an American idealism, the notion that America shouldn't be in this dirty business, and yet its existence essentially reflects the fact that America feels that it has to be. So that's just right. Yeah, that the, there are these, you know, people like there's sort of there's people like Kennan saying, you know, we need to sort of wise up to our responsibilities and the sort of the dangers of the modern world. And he actually, I think, consciously thinks in terms of, the, you know, we're so innocent, we need to sort of emulate <laughs> the old European powers. And and then there are sort of people like Alan Dulles, who I think just they love kind of spy games, and, and they really, you know, Dulles clearly. I just loved uh, World War Two and helping run the the OSS. He he wasn't under Bill Donovan, William Wild, Wild Bill Donovan, who who is the, the the other sort of founding father of U.S. covert operations, uh, and and he I think just wants more of that. So he's pushing for it as well. I, I think the sort of picture is of these various kind of intellectuals and former uh, covert operatives, sort of almost kind of pushing Washington and people like Truman almost unwillingly towards this. And the people who are involved in the CIA, just a quick, so, I mean, you mentioned Ivy League earlier. So the sort of stereotype floating around my mind is it's partly that sort of tweedy pipe smoking. So they're all Ivy League, you know, unlike Tom Holland, they would wear the right shoes on a yacht. Are they? Are they I always of, wear the right shoes on a yacht. That's why I keep bringing it up. You don't. You were shamed at cows, weren't you? Like yeah, the Kaiser. I was, yeah, no, I was. Yes. You're um, right. Yeah. Uh, so, so Hugh, they are they are very much kind of the blue bloods. Are they of kind of East Coast American society, or is it more complicated than that? This founding generation, you're absolutely right, is 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 very patrician, is very Ivy League, an ex- extraordinary number. If you look at the a number just went to this one prep school, Groton, in in in, right. in, in the sort of the new like FDR. countryside. FDR's old school. So that's absolutely right. Yeah, the Roosevelts are everywhere in, in Rotten. The Oyster Bay uh, sort of line of the Roosevelts as well. Th- Teddy and his uh, sons and grandsons all, all, all went there as well. 
uh, not Teddy himself, but but later generations of, of that branch of the Roosevelt family. As well. And, and I, I was looking at a, a, a yearbook from Groton in the 1930s, and it's almost like, oh, yeah, I know that name, I know that name, because, because so, so many of them end, end up in the, the CIA. It's very much, it's a kind of, almost like a faux British public school, and, and, it, and it very much sort of inculcates, you know, classic sort of British virtues of, of, of patriotism and, and service and, and, and duty. And these and also these guys are all uh, reading Kipling and uh, admirers of T. Lawrence. It's that sort of combination of adventurism and, and, and a sort of sense of duty and also aristocratic kind of like, we, we you know, we know best and, and we have the right to get up to these sorts of activities, even if some people uh, object. So, so that, I think they, they, they will feed into the early CIA. Yeah. So Hugh, you, meant, you mentioned Theodore Roosevelt and... It's his grandson, isn't it? Uh, Kermit, the brilliantly named Kermit Roosevelt, which all fans of The Muppet Show always gives a, a kind of thrill. <laughs> a little thrill. <laughs> he, he's a kind of key figure in, in the Middle East, is that right? And, and specifically in Iran, which... Yeah. And in, in the early 1950s, Iran becomes the kind of... Um, the showcase for the CIA's involvement in the kind of dirty tricks that British intelligence had played and, and indeed the cia kind of enters joins up with british intelligence yes basically to foist a coup in iran that that still influences how iran sees america to this day so yeah, can yeah. you just tell us a bit about that yeah it, the, the background is uh this sort of veteran uh, iranian nationalist mohammed mosadeh um becomes uh, prime minister and um nationalizes the, the iranian oil industry which, which is basically controlled by the, the british so that they're, they're they're not at all happy uh, the anglo iranian oil company i think is 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 the big you know the, the oil business of the it's day it's bp yes BP, it's precursor it? to bp exactly yeah uh and so it's it's the british who want rid of him initially and uh, they, but they sort of realised partly because a, a number of them are ch- chased out uh, for, of, of most of this uh, Iran. They need to involve the Americans uh, in, in order to actually uh, make a coup stick. Uh, and um, at, at this point, they reach out to um, Kermit Roosevelt, who actually he has. You know, be, being a sort of an American aristocrat, there are sort of dynastic ties between him and, and, ver- and various British uh, um, aristocratic families as well. I, I forget the. I mean, he actually a family friend is the then British foreign secretary, I think. Anyway, so it, it's it's all sort of you know this is being sort of hatched in in in, in clubs in as yeah. as, as Roosevelt yeah. passes through, and yes, it, it eventually leads to um, this this coup operation in in August 1953 when. Um, Roosevelt uh, organizes a, a lot of sort of former British agents and the Iranian army and, and um, some um, uh, Muslim clerics are, are involved as well. And, and anyway, they, they, they sort of rally behind the Shah and uh, sort of force this kind of constitutional crisis in, in, in which people are forced to choose between the Shah and, and, and Mossadegh. And uh, it actually kind of falls apart at one point, this coup plot. Uh, Roosevelt is actually sort of ordered to evacuate Tehran, but uh, he, in, in sort of the adventurous style of the early CIA, says, no, we, we can still do this, and uh, pays various street mob. Uh, a crowd takes over the streets of Tehran on August the 19th, and, and, and Mossadegh is basically chased out, and the, the Iran, who's, who's fled, excuse me, the Shah, who, who has, who has uh, fled Tehran at this point, comes back, and it's the sort of beginning of, of you know, his his sort of repressive rule, which, as you say, uh, resistance to it builds. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and, and so that this is sort of part of the backstory. I mean, the, there are controversies about exactly how much of the, the origins of the, the 1979 Iranian revolution can be traced directly back to, to 1953. But clearly it, it, it is, it is a big factor. And so does this give the CIA, I mean, so this is the first sort of great, CIA backed coup, isn't it? Because they yes, have one in Guatemala yeah. the following year, and then yes. and then sort of anyone who studies the history of the Cold War in the sixties and seventies. I mean, basically, there's a a coup every year that people say, "Oh, that's the CIA who did it," or or, or the CIA's sort of hands are dirty. Do you think that the success of the operation in Iran gave the CIA a taste for meddling, as it were, for for toppling governments and stuff, or was that being overstated a bit? No, I, I think that's absolutely right. And, and it uh, p- persuades um, Dwight, the new president, Dwight Eisenhower, that, that COVID action is this sort of magic bullet in the Cold War. You know, you can uh, 
resort to the CIA and 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 it's cheaper and it's less noisy um, because you don't you, know, you, you don't want to get into an overt fight with the Soviets for obvious uh, reasons. You know, it could, could lead to nuclear war. And, and, and also, I mean, I think a big part of this as well is is, is that so, so many of these interventions are covert because. But with an earlier generation that they, they might they might have been over but you know this is this is the sort of the decol the era of decolonization un charter exists now you know in, uh, overt interventionism is is sort of no longer al- allowed in the eyes of the sort of international community so this this is kind of why uh, washington is off, often reach, reaches for this weapon in the cold war and these are these successes in, in Iran, 1953, and Guatemala, 1954. They they just kind of fuel this uh, growing um, myth of the ability of the CIA to basically do whatever, you know, overthrow some regimes and support others secretly. So at the same time, this is going on um, in, in Vietnam. The, the CIA is is trying to sort of build up. Uh, I know you talked about the origins of the Vietnam War in an uh, earlier podcast with Andrew Preston. You know, the, uh, early on, the sort of the CIA attempt to, to cement ZM in, in, into place is very much a, a, a CIA operation as well. I mean, it is the you know, it, it is kind of America's army in the Cold War at this point, really. So, yeah. So, so we've got a question from Culture Carrot. Um, how many foreign leaders did the CIA conspire to bring down? And which is the most egregious example of misuse of power and why? So that's that's kind of backing up what you're saying that, that the CIA did bring down foreign governments. So, so well, essentially, yeah, I mean, so the, so, it, yes, but 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 that's just. I mean, that question is in association with another question, which mm. is: Does the CIA enjoy a notoriety beyond its station? In other words, does its reputation for bringing down governments mean that it gets it, it's been uh, blamed for uh, coups and for? Um, uh, kind of civil um, unrest and collapse in foreign countries where it hasn't actually played a role. And what's the balance uh, there, do you think? Sure. Wow. The, 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 there is an element to that. I mean, there are some people who actually think that, it, that even it, its role in the 1953 Iran coup ha, ha, has been overstated. Right. And, and actually, you know, it was the local uh, Iranian actors who, who ready with us, you know, they did the decisive uh, things, which is kind of, I, I think the CIA itself is sort of caught between this desire to sort of boaster of of such successes and then when it turns out in the long term perhaps this wasn't such a great idea after all to sort of you know distance itself so that's that 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 tension you you see sort of replicated in in the the writing about uh, iran but i guess that i mean iran is is a conspicuous example of of regime change by the ci guatemala that a lot of these attempts in fact the majority of them i think at least in the late 50s and early 60s are are then unsuccessful you know eisenhower keeps reaching for this weapon and it keeps not working there are there are failures (laughs) in, in 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 syria and indonesia um, and then, of course, most of all in Cuba, uh, that, that, that's probably the most egregious uh, CIA effort to overthrow a foreign regime is, is this constant effort to, to do away with uh, Fidel Castro. So all the, all the comedy, you know, the things about him, them trying to get his beard to fall out and ex- yeah. what is it, kind of exploding seashells on the... They, they, they went to his favourite diving beach and uh, <laughs> tried to put explosives in a, in a shell that he might reach for and yeah, yeah. It, it's all it's all true it's all true it? I mean, it's all, yeah 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 no, this all came out in uh in the mid-70s during congressional investigations of of the cia and uh this is all it's all documented yeah, they called it operation uh, mongoose didn't they that's right yeah and this, a exploding yeah. cigar exploding cigar was part of it i think well, there the was this attempt, right, to put uh, stuff on his shoes that would cause his his beard to fall out, and then I. But I think it was neurotoxins. That that's right. It, it was so some of it's com- you know comical. Some of it's just, you know is actually more sinister. I, I I think it was poisons were going in his cigars. So and and right. there's an attempt that there's an attempt to involve the mafia. You know the the, the CIA. You know thinks you know who actually really knows to to take <laughs> out people. Yes, will and the FBI um, um, puts the CIA in touch with. Uh, um, friend of an associate of Sam Giancana's who, who then who then tries to get the the Havana mob to go it's, after Castro. So it's, I mean, it's, I mean, it's it's crazy, it's crazy stuff for sure. But it, but it's it's a weird a, a kind of weird tension between the reputation the CIA in the sixties has as this sinister kind of spectre type organization that can pull yeah. a string and topple a foreign government, and at the same time these kind of clownish attempts to. You know, with exploding cigars and things. Uh, which do you think did the CIA more damage? A reputation for kind of omniscient, sinister potency or incompetence? I guess incompetence, really. 
Yeah, I think probably initially it's the the incompetence that starts to sour people on it in the United States. Um, you know, where, when it's really uh, Cuba and first of all, the failed invasion of the Bay of Pigs in 1961. And then the details which emerge of subsequent attempts by Operation Mongoose to, to assassinate Castro. I, I think that's when the American public sort of starts to and, and some of this starts to, to, to come out in, into the media um, and, um, you know, Americans start to sort of turn against it but i mean that there is always this you know fear of of an american gestapo and that the, the possibility of uh, of of this kind of secretive government agency possibly turning against americans themselves and and, and threatening you know that th- this is a sort of old i think sort of the fear and the suspicion of the cia sort of belongs to this kind of longer tradition of american anti-imperialism you know sort of get, get going back centuries really and, and the thought that you know overseas adventures and and strengthening um, um federal government in order to carry these out might ultimately sort of boomerang against americans so, so presumably that intensifies in the 60s and into the 70s with the the counterculture and the protests against the vietnam exactly. war and so on exactly so they have a thing yeah. don't they called operation chaos to in Ooh, I mean, who, calls, who calls yes, who calls the operation cia Op- do yeah operation Op- chaos <laughs> who came up with that name <laughs> it's a great name i mean <laughs> if i was going to frankly i i well, you were talking about having your own mob kermit roosevelt paid his own mobs i mean i'd love to yes. have my own mob but um <laughs> if i was going to run covert operations i would call them things like operation chaos but operation chaos was about infiltrating the peace movement and sort of women for peace and Yes. The Black Power movement, Black Panthers and stuff, wasn't it? Huge. Yes. Well, it's a question here from Dr. Navarre. What is the relationship between the CIA and other federal agencies such as the FBI? I, is The FBI is, is domestic and the CIA is foreign, or am I being too reductive there? So, uh, No, that, that, that's absolutely right. So and why the is the CIA is... intervening in, in domestic? I mean, how do they get uh, away with that? Well, it, it's partly because um, Lyndon Johnson, uh, Operation Chaos, and by the way, that that name was just <laughs> supposedly came, it, it came <laughs> just supposedly from a list of you know possible operational code names, and that just Operation Catastrophe, Operation Screw Up. You can't really make it up, can you? No, it, it had a database of, of, of sort of details of like peace activists and what have you and that that was called hydra you know <laughs> it's like they're just can we think of any more sinister names uh but and i should also you know in defense in defense of the cia an awful lot of this is 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 coming from the white house you know there is this tendency on the part of successive u.s presidents to sort of see the the the, the cia as this kind of private army they they, they can use for any purpose really that that they need and in nixon? this particular is, instance is, is that, is yes yeah, that, that, that that's very much no, nixon yes nixon hates Dominic's the, friend of the show yeah nixon hates um, the cia you know <laughs> dominic i'm sure could speak to this he sees he thinks they're a bunch of sort of ivy league eggheads yeah but elitists but, uh, and closet yeah. lefties i think is what he thinks they do wear the yeah. right shoes to the beach <laughs> so <laughs> he's he he actually he just apparently you know presidential briefs and the cia just sort of piled up in his safe you know it was just he, ne- <laughs> he, he never bothered to read them but when he wanted to get rid of salvador allende in, in chile you know he kind of he calls on them because they're they're useful and so in, in allende, the case of, that is that is the cia yes yeah i, I there are a lot of anti allende um operations uh, run by the cia d- during in, in the year sort of running up to the coup of, the, of 1973 but actually amongst sort of cia coup operations I, I think most historians now tend to see that as actually having the actual overthrow of the itself as actually having been less caused by the cia than in other cases it, it, it was i mean they didn't think um pinochet was going to you know he he was barely even on their radar apparently the the, the cia officers but doesn't that speak to a bigger issue hugh which is that in a lot of you you mentioned this with um uh 1953 in iran that basically we tend particularly people like well sort of anti-establishment people in america and basically everybody outside america we tend to do what left wing is like you dominic exactly dangerous marxists yeah. Like to think of the um, CIA as a spectre type organization. Mm. You know, it's it, it's a classic conspiracy theory. So something happens in a Central American Republic and it must be the CIA's fault. And often the CIA are involved, but they're not the key actors. So they end up getting mm. the credit or the blame. But actually, yes. you mentioned Allende. I mean, I would say um, Allende would probably have fallen anyway, whether the CIA had stayed at home playing backgammon or whether they'd actually mm. got involved. That, that, you know, that's sort of letting his Chilean opponents off the hook in a weird way. 
Is that is yeah, that there, fair? There, there is yeah, and and there's been um, some some really great scholarship recently about the role of of, of other um, South American dictatorships in Allende's overthrow. You know, Brazil um, played a big covert part in uh, in in this as well. But then and and then the, as I was saying earlier that this has even gone in, into the uh, uh, Iran coup and, and there have been these kind of retrospective attempts to almost excuse the US and the CIA and actually, you know, but blame it all on the Ayatollahs, right? This, this is actually, um, so, so in other words, the sort of stressing local agency and saying, no, it, 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 this wasn't just the case of the CIA turning up with some bags of gold and, and, and mm. then sort of, you know, turning this, this sort of third world backwater, you know, in, 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 into uh, and, and, and everything happening at the... the, the, the and did they carry on with exploding cigars and things was that a, the kind of cool gadgets that <laughs> he's just they carry the on with. well it's what people really want to know i think i mean do they do they have because the whole exploding cigars did they just think this is a terrible idea we're going to park it or did they did their top boffins crack how to get exploding cigars because if they did, presumably, we wouldn't know, would we? So we'd only hear about the failures. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, some of this actually, so some of the gadgets actually, and, and are coming from, well, uh, and, and again, Dominic will like this, they're coming from Bond. Um, there's this, for, yeah, um, um, Fleming uh, is at sort of dinner parties with, with uh, Dulles and, 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 and John Kennedy, and, and uh, he uh, uh, is describing uh, MI6 gadgets and then, and then some of the things that, you know, fe- feature in, in, in his novels. And, and apparently Alan Dulles runs off excitedly to see if uh, the CIA boffins can replicate this in, in, in their laboratories. Uh, so apparently, including Rosa Klebb's uh, um, poison knife, you know, that, that, that it comes out of a shoe. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yes, yes. Apparently Dulles was very interested in this gadget. <laughs> that's absolutely laughable. They were copying their... F- yeah, their- yeah. <laughs> but I should also wow. say, should also say that the CIA is actually quite, out of the various forms of, of, of intelligence, you know, there are these um, abbreviations for human, inter- human, human intelligence and tech in- technological intelligence. Why the, the, the CIA is actually, it, I mean, overall, it's probably not terribly good at human intelligence. Um, it, it, it's, you know, notoriously, it, it, it fails to really kind of, you know, get much uh, good intelligence human intelligence from the soviet union and then later from the you know the, the next big enemy from 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 uh, al-qaeda and, uh, and other islamist organizations but but what it is pretty good at is uh, is things like it, the u2 is 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 a ci operation you know it's the, the it's the ci that that, that comes up spy this, plane, this extremely effective uh, spy not, plane. Yeah, not the, the uh, not the band <laughs> That's there are CIA links to the police. The uh, of course, his dad, uh, Miles Copeland's dad. Yes, Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. So, what was Miles Copeland's dad? He was was he a major figure in the CIA? Uh, yeah, he was quite big in, in, in the Middle East. He was a Kermit Roosevelt's kind of uh, lieutenant, as it were. He's, he's not very heavily involved in Iran, but he's very sort of active in, in, in the Arab countries. And he's very good at cultivating human intelligence sources. He befriends, uh, he befriends uh, NASA, for example. And, and, wow, that's uh, amazing. What a link actually, to the, yeah. Yeah, to, yeah, to the yeah. police. I think we should take a break at this point. We should do. Uh, and I think when we come back, we should look at uh, those two failures that you, said, you mentioned, the... Um, because the CIA didn't really predict the fall of the Soviet Union and it didn't really get a handle on um, the rise of Al-Qaeda and Islamist militism. Um, So uh, when we come back, can we talk about that? We will see you in a minute or two. Hello, welcome back to The Rest is History. We are talking the Central Intelligence Agency um, and Hugh... Uh, I've got a question here um, from An- Alan Andrew Wild. In pursuing American interests, has the CIA ever been a source for good? And I, I guess you'd say that for, for all its, um, you know, its fondness for coups and its exploding cigars and so on, um, you'd back the CIA over, say, the KGB, and you'd back them over Al Qaeda. Uh, and sure. in the eighties and the nineties, those were the two great enemies of the CIA, I guess. Um, so how, how would you see the kind of the moral balance of the CIA in, in the, in the eighties and nineties into the 21st century? It's an intriguing question. Um, it does 
the CIA, despite the sort of comical elements, it, it, its operations are effective in in the eighties, especially in defeating, helping defeat the 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 Soviets in in Afghanistan. You know, CIA supplies them Mujahideen with uh, with weapons, the Stinger, um, those Stinger missiles they fired at the helicopters, Soviet so that's Rambo. helicopters. There's Rambo in the CIA. I don't think he is. Well, no, I, 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 I think, there's I think no he's, CIA. He's, he's a grunt. He's a... I have to say, in the living daylights. So that's just <laughs> that's just Bond. There's no CIA men there. <laughs> right. Uh, so, although the CIA is in is in other Bond, isn't it? Felix Leiter. He's Felix. Uh, yeah. Yes, but yeah, Felix yeah. is never instrumental. Guys, Felix guys. is only ever supplying gadgets and stuff. He's a sort of, he's Dominic, a sort of sidekick, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Dominic, we're not facing on fantasy here. We're focusing on on. Okay, so the reality yeah. of the CIA's yeah. engagement in these you, you titanic global you mentioned conflicts. Rambo. You meant there's no. Doubt I know I did. Rambo. I know I did. But I can just throw that out because I I know that we're not going to discuss it. But if we get into Bond, it's like kind of going down into quicksand with you. Okay. All right. All right. Sorry. But let's let's not talk about fictional agents. Let's talk about. Um, so say in Homeland. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean the, the relationship between the, the the CIA and 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 culture is very interesting. You know, I, I think. Uh, just talking a bit earlier about Kipling and, and, and Alan Dulles, you know, I, I think fiction really does sort of shape the even the you know the CIA's attitude towards a number of things, and, and there's this kind of the, the, there's the gadget thing, you know, coming out of Fleming, and and, and also and, and and then it's going the other way as well, you know, the CIA it, it does somewhat try to to, to, to shape culture in, in for you, more propaganda you've written a book about and, this you've written a whole book about this so i've been trying uh, to turn the conversation around to, to his own book Tom Holland <laughs> is a master of that so you wrote a book called that Hugh wrote a brilliant book called the mighty Wurlitzer, which is all about the cia sponsoring what jackson pollock uh literary pollock. magazines yeah he's promoted they by the cia jackson pollock you you tell the story better than me he's just kind of flicking paint isn't well, he? we'll see if i do <laughs> So, yeah, this is the so-called cultural Cold War. Um, it, it, it's the idea that the U.S. is sort of trying to fight this international image of itself as it's all, it's all Disney and, and, and Coca-Cola. Um, so in order to sort of you know, win over neutralist intellectuals in Europe and then possibly a bit, bit beyond in the, third, the so-called third world, you, you need to persuade them that actually America has, has a, a high cultural life uh, of its own. And you know, the Soviets are sort of Soviet propagandists are, are making uh, hay out of this as well. You know, we have the Bolshoi, we have Tolstoy, what do the Americans have? Um, so uh, the, the, the CIA secretly funds this organization called the Congress for Cultural Freedom, um, which um, sponsors tours of Europe uh, and further afield by the Boston Symphony Orchestra, for example, you know, to, to, to show what accomplished classical musicians the, the U.S. has and traveling exhibits uh, featuring the abstract expressionists. Uh, this is it's sort of in, in partnership with the Museum of Modern Art in, in New York and uh, uh, amongst them uh, Jackson Pollock. So th- this is really, I mean, perhaps this is could be part of a response to that that earlier question about the, this the CIA really being pretty clever, right? You know, being pretty mm. pretty subtle. Um, and am, uh, I, am it, I imagining that they sponsored Orwell? Have I not got that right? Well, Orwell has a relationship with a sort of equivalent secret British organization, the the, the Information Research Department in, okay, in, so in that's the British not American. Foreign Office. No, no, but actually the, the, there is a Orwell CIA link as well because the um, the, the, the CIA. Um, uh, animates uh, Animal Farm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's sort of, sort of yeah. actually, uh, you know, it's a great movie. It's a sort of uh, landmark in, in the history of animation. Um, and, and it's a CIA operation for, from beginning to end. You know, they think that the Animal Farm could be this sort of tremendous anti-communist propaganda. And um, they they rent this this production company based in, in the UK in order to, to, to animate it. And it, it's in the movie theatres. It's in the... Uh, it's shown in, in in classrooms for 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 generations afterwards. And is is that ongoing? So my brilliant impression of Liam Neeson in Taken, which we started this podcast with. I mean, uh, are the CIA behind the scenes kind of encouraging the presentation of the CIA in a positive way in film and TV? And I'd say this is um, what's his name, Jack? What's his name? Tom Clancy and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the, there is. I, I think after we touched on this briefly earlier, you know, all, all of this stuff about uh, 
Castro and MH chaos, etc., comes out in the 70s. And then actually the CIA, CIA hasn't been terribly attentive to its own sort of public relations up until that point. But in, in, in the late 70s and, and 80s, it, it, it starts to become so and eventually actually creates its a, a, a unit basically for liaising with Hollywood and, and, and uh, you know, um, various, various other cultural entities and um, plays a role in, in various movie productions. Um, Zero Dark Thirty, you know, the, um, the, 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 the oh, yeah. movie about the hunt for Bin Laden, that, that has, um, there is quite a lot of consultation between uh, the director and producer and, 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 and the CIA. Because there was a point, wasn't there, when, when the first revelations came out about the CIA sponsoring the Congress for Cultural Freedom, and then, and then the revelations about the exploding cigars and stuff, the CIA was kind of toxic. In American, certainly in American kind of intellectual circles, it was seen as, you know, evil um, assassins and shambling clowns and stuff. But has that reputation changed to people? Certainly after 9-11, are people more benignly disposed towards the CIA now? Yeah, I think it did enjoy i mean i mean it it kind of its popularity revived somewhat during the the, the 1980s you know d- d- during the reagan era um and um so that that was a sort of a renaissance for the cia but then then, then there was a further one and the first book, um, first after, bush had been a, a director of the cia yes he had indeed that's correct yeah um so and and right and and i guess it reaches a sort of nadir in the early noughties you know with with 9-11 and um because they and, and the wmbd debacle yeah. and uh failure to catch uh bin laden and so on so then after bin laden is after the cia uh catches up with him it it sort of enjoys a, a revival uh then well so, so he in in the in the I mean, kind of, I would say over the past decade, that the sense I have, which I'm sure must be not entirely true because I'm only getting it from newspapers, but that the, the, the action is going on online, that it's, it's kind of cyber, cyber terrorism, cyber wars, whatever. And the sense that um, certainly Russian uh, intelligence is now very, very focused on the cyber. And to be honest, the yeah. Chinese, I've got no idea even what the name of the Chinese spy agency is. And I wonder, in comparison to these much, much more kind of shadowy figures, is the CIA a, a kind of a bit prehistoric in comparison? It's, a, it's an interesting notion. I mean, I think it is trying very much to sort of uh, adopt to this kind of new world of cyber threats, uh, uh, etc. And I don't think so. I mean, I think it's probably still something of a leader in that sort of realm of technological intelligence uh, as well i mean i mean some people you know the 2016 uh, russian election interference you know a, a lot of some, some commentators have seen that as sort of blowback from earlier cia cia operations that right. the kind of the russians were sort of imitating what uh, the Americans would be doing to the Iranians oh yes of course because because the cia were, were um with with mossad were kind of deprogramming iranian nuclear reactors and Stuxnet, things Stuxnet, that's right that's yes, right, yes 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 exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the unleashing viruses are, are so, on so, them so basically it, i mean is what's happening at the moment it, that, that in the background in cyberspace where most of us have no idea what's going on yeah okay so so we don't know no one knows we, yeah <laughs> that's okay true. so hugh i'll tell you one thing i'm very disappointed about we have not mentioned i was really hoping we'd mention an alumnus of my old school so I'm always I think I know a, where you're going with as this. As a proud old Mulvernian, I'm always pleased to get my old school into podcast, and I've completely failed so far in this entire series. But now we can talk about a man called with a splendid name of James Jesus Angleton. Jesus, thank God! I thought we yes. were going to miss out. Tom on Holland desperate to get Christianity in. <laughs> so it should, should the- actually be James. This is the height of pedantry, James Jesus Angleton, because it was it, it was uh, he, he his mother was was Mexican. Uh, oh so no! He's a very interesting soul. He's but you can't call of... yourself James Jesus. You've got either got to be James Jesus or James Jesus, right? You've got to <laughs> okay, be consistent. Right. <laughs> anyway, listen, James uh, yeah. Jesus Angleton. Okay, <laughs> he went to my old school, and he was yeah. the head of counterintelligence at the CIA. I think from 1954 to 1974. What was and he, he doing was at your old school? Well, he was having a first class education. What else? But. <laughs> um, what do you but mean? Why didn't, he get, why, why didn't he go to an American school? I why think he kind of popped per- up in top Herefordshire or wherever. <laughs> Hugh, you'll know the answer to this, do you? Uh, 
Yes, I, I think I do. No, his his father is um, a, a sort of international businessman. He he's uh, uh, based in, in, in international. Yes, there you go. <laughs> Which makes him yes. I know. That sounds like right. a euphemism. For, no, I don't. No, I don't think his father is a spy. Well, I say that actually. No, no, no. Actually, no. He does play a role in the OSS. Uh, a mountaintop lair in Switzerland, <laughs> and a submarine that could swallow ships. Cigar. <laughs> 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 right. Anyway, I, let's get back to him because he was yes. a brilliant man because he was completely paranoid. Yes. And he accused, he believed that um, the CIA was full of communists. He believed that so he Harold was a paranoid right wing zealot. He believed he? that Harold Dominic? Wilson was a communist. He went to your school. He did. Exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I know some people. <laughs> it was that or become a, 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 a very popular mid market newspaper columnist. I mean, it was one or the other. Um, <laughs> he. he he thought he told kept telling MI5 that Harold Wilson was a communist. Yes. He also told the Canadians that their Prime Minister Lester <laughs> Pearson was a communist. He told the Australians yeah, the, that their the Prime Minister as well. The, the yeah. man running Mount, the Mounties counterintelligence. He 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 was too. Yeah. <laughs> the Mounties were run yes, by yes, the KGB. Yes. So he believed everybody was penetrated by the KGB, yes. including the most anodyne and bland people imaginable. And yet they kept him on for twenty for so for twenty years. He's kind of going around. Yeah. Saying, you know, you'd basically I mean, say basically, to him, I, I mean, he does actually, he, he prevents um, communist penetration. I mean, this all, all this actually works, this paranoia. You know, the, the CIA, mm. while, while he's in, running its counterintelligence, it is, is not penetrated by Soviet moles, where, you know, at the same time, that I don't really need to spell it out, do I? The MI6 is, <laughs> it's just, is thoroughly penetrated by Philby et al. So, um, uh, and, 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 and then after he's yeah. retired, you know, he's kind of forced out because of this this paranoid mole hunt he, he runs. Aldrich Ames, who's the sort of, you know, the the, the most damaging um, um, Soviet mole in CIA history ha- happens along fairly soon after he leaves the picture. So, but yeah, no, he, he is undoubtedly uh, uh, paranoid. Um, it's partly because I think because when, when Philby defects, you know, this this comes as because uh, he, he's one of uh, Philby's biggest American uh, buddies. They have a lot of boozy lunches together when uh, right. Philby is, is is running the Azor in Washington. So I think this this comes as a sort of a really big personal blow to to Angleton, who very much you know he 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 absorbed those um, those gentlemanly values, uh, you know, patriotism, service, etc. While yeah, while attending Melbourne College. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, school, Dominic. I mean, obviously, the, the idea that the CIA is sponsoring this podcast is. A, a ludicrous, ludicrous, one. Yeah. ludicrous one, unimaginable. Uh, <laughs> I think if they were going to sponsor, oh, a my cigars just exploded. You might not have picked um, up on it, but I'm putting a positive spin on everything they did. You see, and it's, I'm, I'm, I'm getting it in there. So, Hugh, what was the worst thing they did? I mean, I, can I make a suggestion, and then you can tell me why I'm wrong? Um, uh, isn't it sometimes said that Indonesia is their worst? Because they encouraged the yeah. purge of communists in the mid sixties that the killed thousands dying. A, a million yeah. people, some people a say. A million. Yeah. yeah, a million. Yeah. And the CIA I found on I read online, I mean admittedly it was only online, so it may be utterly untrue, that a CIA report had sort of set uh, its own report into it said, you know, this was as bad as Nazi mass murders or something. Mm-hmm. Let's hush mm-hmm. it up. Um, Hugh, is that is that all exaggerated, or is that is there some? No, no, I, 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 I don't think it is. Um, amid all, all the laughter, right? It, it does. You know, a lot of these operations do, you know, lead to to very, very bad things. Um, Iran, uh, Guatemala, you know, the country uh, after Jacobo Arbenz, uh, democratically elected. Uh, president is is um, overthrown, and I, and I think you know the the finger really does point at the CIA and, and, and at Washington with that one. You know the, the country descends in, in, into a bloodbath. Um, not not even the colonel who um, the CIA helped install this is 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 sort of excused this. He he's assassinated a few years later. The operation against Patrice the the Mumba, um, yeah, Congolese oh, yes, yes, president, that. Yeah, is, yeah. Is, yeah, that that's absolutely ghastly as well yeah. it's not actually the the, the cia because they send an executioner pro- over don't they i mean someone who's kind of practiced in poisoning and yes they they, they, they send some the of doc- these the poisons doctor that, or something the sort some that, sinister that's, figure from a Conrad yeah, Sid- novel. yeah sydney gottlieb the um the, the sort of slightly doctor strange lovish character some, something like that yeah yeah, he 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 cooks up these poisons and dispatches them to to the CIA station in the Congo to 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 get rid of uh, the the mumba. Uh, they, they, they the CIA doesn't sort of get to him 
first uh, Congolese rivals of his and 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 Belgians uh, uh, Belgian mercenaries do, do and but you know his murder is that you know it's it, it's it, it's just horrible okay. and 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 the, and and the CIA undoubtedly sort of contributes to 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 this sort of atmosphere of murder and mayhem that surrounds him um, and he's just and he's eventually uh, killed. Well, Hugh, Hugh, I I I I mean, obviously, we're not sponsored by the CIA. Uh, that would be that would be an absolutely shameful allegation. But I think that um, before we go, just one last question from Danny Kay. What was the CIA's greatest achievement? What was the CIA's greatest achievement? Uh, okay, well, I so we've done the bad. What's 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 the good? We've probably focused more on covert action. The um, we're, we're, you know, it, it's kind of some successful operations like a, you know like Iran ultimately. Uh, have unintended cons- bad unintended consequences so i, I you know it, it, it's if you sort of the, look at the kind of the ledger for uh, for covert action i don't think it's favorable to the cia but it's it, it, it's actually its intelligence record i think is actually kind of better than it's sometimes been given credit for i mean there are these there are some really egregious failures you know like 9-11 like the like yeah. the um failure to predict the, the the collapse of the soviet union i mean big 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 ones but the cia is very important in the yeah i mean it has some successes as well like the cuban missile crisis you know it, it does very well there actually a lot of the intelligence it provides during the vietnam war is is very sensible as well it it, it has a it takes a pretty dim view of u.s prospects in, in in that war from early on so i suppose also a lot of i mean like a lot of these things actually their successes we probably don't know about because you know that's, that's the point isn't it <laughs> well you know i i now Tom, that's actually a favourite sort of CIA publicity line. It is, it is, it is, it, it, it <laughs> right. is you know, we actually well, we have so many successes, but we can't tell you about them. So, <laughs> well, there it is. I've smuggled it in. I, I, uh, <laughs> I hope my controller in Langley <laughs> will give me a free cigar for that. Hugh, thanks so much. Um, it's, it's been a, a brilliant whistle-stop tour through uh, what's a fascinating thank subject. Thank it's, you. It's a weird and wonderful subject, isn't it? Yeah, thank it you, is. So yeah, thank you. Um for those of you listening, uh be careful with your next cigar. Don't pick up an ex- <laughs> a seashell. And if you find your beard, if you're a hipster and you find your beard mysteriously sparser tomorrow, wait till you listen to next week's The Rest is History and find out what happens then. Goodbye. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, please sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. Hi, Rest is History fans. If you want more Tom Holland in your life, and frankly, why wouldn't you? I have some good news for you. I'm Emily Dean and I'm thrilled to say that this week Tom is a guest on my podcast, Walking the Dog, where you get to hear well-known faces at their most relaxed because I talk to them over a leisurely outdoor stroll with my dog Raymond. And you can join us this week for a very special two-part in-depth chat with Tom Holland. And yes, I'm afraid I did ask him this question. Tom, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? I think about it a huge amount. In fact, there are days where I barely stop thinking about it my brain is occupied by the romans it's like gall if you want to hear more of my chat with tom give walking the dog a listen this week and while you're there you can take your pick from episodes starring the likes of ricky gervais jack whitehall and jimmy carr what's that raymond yes the rest is history did do an episode all about the greatest dogs in history no you weren't in it most spoiled dog in history maybe